You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Good morning. Thank you for that. <laughs> Such a supportive husband. All right, so we are in parables, and like James said, he sent out an email to a few of us, and I thought that this was going to be on one topic, and it sort of turned out to be on a different topic that was actually a little bit deeper. For me, it's um, a parable that seems like it's about a lot of stuff, and we have a lot of stuff in our house. We've started thrifting and sort of trying to resell things, but we're not doing the reselling part as much. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can, like, use this message to target Matt, and we could get rid of some of this stuff. But it turns out to be a little bit about kind of that, but kind of something else. All right, so we're in this message um, on parables, and we kind of start with this. So parables are earthly stories to help us understand heavenly realities, and I love this series, and I kind of love it for the summer because it's, parables seem a little bit more casual, but they kind of target us at these core points where humanity kind of has an issue understanding the kingdom, and um, and it kind of sneaks in a little bit, and we start to understand it a little bit better. Today, we're going to be talking about where we put our trust, right, as humans, where we should be putting our trust um, as followers of Jesus. So instead of bad news, I have a longer passage today, so I wanted to kind of set the stage. These parables, we're going through Luke, and we're kind of jumping around, and we um, we need to kind of understand what's happening a little bit before this, and we, we kind of talk a little bit about what happens after the parable as well, just to get better understanding. So right now, um, Jesus has a huge crowd around him. It even says that they're like crushing each other. Thousands upon thousands of people are surrounding Jesus. The disciples are there as well. Um, I picture a little bit closer to him. He's teaching both simultaneously, and he kind of targets each of them um, individually at some points. Right before this parable, he's talking about persecution to his disciples. He says, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, if you're kind of familiar with that passage. He says, instead, fear the one who can send you to hell after you die. Um, He's just saying, don't be, you can't worry about what the world is going to do to you um, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, The fortunate part is that God is a caring God, um, and you can can trust him with uh, your eternity. Um, And then he also says, don't worry about what to say to defend yourself to rulers and authorities when you do get taken, maybe, to the leadership, either synagogues, rulers, principalities. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say to them because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will know what to say. So this is kind of the context. It's heavy. It's for the disciples. He's talking about the end of their lives, maybe. And we get to this passage Um, If you want to follow along, it's page 794. We're starting at Luke 12, verse 13, and we're going to go for a little bit, so kind of settle in. Um, I'm going to try to make it 
interesting, but it's scripture, so we value <laughs> it's valuable in itself, obviously. Um, let's get started. Let's see. All right. So after Jesus has said all that about their lives, about persecution, someone from the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Oh, I must have passed it over. Oh, he's got it. Thanks. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food, and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, how much more will God do for you? You people of weak faith, don't chase after what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there, and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. So we're going to process this. That's a lot in there. I was, I was processing this, and I thought we could do weeks and weeks on this. But we're going, to, we're going to narrow it down, and I know there's going to be little things, and I'm going to try to be chill about it because there's going to be little things I want to put in and add, and it's just going to become bogged down. So we're going to try, I'm going to try to stay on track. We're going to process it. What does God want us to know? Transforming our minds. What does God want us to feel? Transforming our hearts. And what does God want us to do in response to this? So what I think this week God wants us to know, what I got out of this, 
is that our lives aren't determined by our possessions. That's partly because he says literally those words. Your life isn't determined by your possessions. What he means, because he's just got done talking about persecution, we, we will lose our lives at some point, is that our salvation is not determined by our possessions. And I didn't do a ton of research, but I think this tags on a little bit to what James said last week, in that they're in a society where wealth matters a lot. And wealth does determine your standing. In the kingdom, it will not. Your life and your salvation is not determined by your possessions. And this is where I get it. This is the literal quote. Jesus said to them, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Later, I'm focusing more on the bold, the bold points because we don't want to read the, you know, we don't have to read the whole thing again. God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? He can't take them with him. This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. We'll focus on the rich toward God in a little bit. And then Jesus says to, your, to his disciples, there's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. He wants to get them past the concern for wealth. And he is talking, he's talking to this man. He's talking to the crowd as well. Okay. And there's, there are some points that the crowd will understand. He's talked about in previous parables. The rich man, often in Jesus' parables, rich is, a, is not a flattering term. This rich man is described as a fool by Jesus, and what Jesus means by a fool is someone who rebels against God, someone who is foolish, someone who is practicing a life that denies God. So this rich man, when Jesus calls him a fool, he's saying, this man is trying to do it all on his own, and this is what we do not want to be like. I read through a portion of a commentary and by Joel B. Green, we've been working out of it for this series. And he brought this point. He says, the farmer sought to secure himself and his future without reference to God. And that's kind of where, um, that's kind of where if I was going to do bad news, that's the bad news, is that I think we tend to try to secure ourselves without reference to God. It's easy to kind of slip into this, partly because of our culture our culture says self-reliance is a good, like, is important. And that our, our foundation has been that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can work really hard and we can attain whatever we want to attain as long as we work hard for it. And then we're going to feel secure. Acquiring possessions and making preparations makes us feel like we have security. We're set. We got a good job. We've got enough money. We have enough food. We have enough possessions. Just in case something happens, we're all set. My kind of version of this, this is my cupboard, and I have a lot of mugs. I thought about this even before I started doing this sermon. I was like, I have too many. I, have, I set aside one shelf for mugs. It's obviously that middle shelf. It goes back into the into the cabinet it's all full i try to shove them in and 
I, I like mugs because like it's cozy. I value coziness. Um, it's easy to pack if I'm on a trip and I want a souvenir. People give me mugs, like Starbucks gives me mugs if I get enough stars. Like I can buy more mugs. Um, and so then I don't have enough room here. So I, I like co-opted another cupboard for more mugs. These are like Christmas, you know, seasonal that you can't use in the summertime. And then I've started to move even into another cupboard, like not even talking about the water bottles or the like traveler, like we got, a, I got a million mugs. And part of me is like, well, I need enough in case I host a Christmas party and there's hot cocoa and I have a hundred people who need hot cocoa, <laughs> right? Like I need them. I can't give away these mugs. They're cute. Maybe I thrifted it. Maybe it's old. Like it's, there's a lot of reasons to have a lot of mugs. But then if I had a hundred people, I'd probably get styrofoam pour the hot cocoa, I don't have to wash all the mugs, right? So I've got a, I got a thing. I'm going to try to, th to thin it out. Um, but I think we all have something sort of similar, even if it's on accident, so, like things accumulate. Um, and so we have to learn how to not have so much stuff. And so in our, even our society, we have books, right? This is Marie Kondo and she um, had some, a couple of best-selling books about tidying up, the life-changing magic of tidying up, the Japanese art of decluttering and organizing. So we need help from someone. And then she had a second book that gives you pictures about how to do it, how to fold your clothes so that you can fit them in your drawers. And it looks, you can see what you have, and you can pick it out, and it doesn't ruin your pile of clothes. And then they thought, well, we need to show them. We need to do it on Netflix. So let's also tidy up on Netflix and Sparking Joy that references picking items that actually give you joy and getting rid of ones that don't add joy to your life. And there's probably at least 10 episodes on each. I don't know, six to 10 episodes on each of those. And then we have the home edit. And they're a separate couple of women who organize by the rainbow a little bit because that's aesthetically pleasing and it says, go from mess to yes. You, we've got a closet full of clothes that, you know, if we work hard enough, we can organize it well, and it looks good, and maybe, you know, get rid of some stuff, but you just have a pantry that's full of everything you could need, organized by the rainbow, got all the books you could ever need, organized by the colors of the rainbow. I think even non-believers know that you can ac accumulate too many things, and that it's too much work to keep too many things. Maybe you need, Matt was watching a YouTube video this morning about this, and I overheard it, and this guy was like, well, then we, you know, we got this, and we got all this, and then we had to move to a bigger house, and then we needed a storage unit, and he's working on becoming more minimalist, but I forgot about storage units. Like, people, you know, we put stuff in storage units and pay money for it and have to deal with it. Like, well. But possessions and preparations, I think what Jesus wants to say is they only provide a pseudo-security. It's a fake security. Okay? Self-reliance is not a kingdom value. And I think we kind of know that when we're working so hard to be self-reliant. God-reliance is the kingdom value. And that's what God wants us to focus on. That's what Jesus is describing in this passage. Another quote from Joel B. Green in the, um, the commentary I was looking at. He says, if they, probably the crowd and the disciples, but I was thinking disciples, could accept his portrait of the caring God who provides for them 
as the father whose pleasure is manifest in his provision of the kingdom, would this not be impetus, wouldn't be cause, enough for a radically constructed attitude toward and set of behaviors concerning the abundance of possessions? Wouldn't it change our lives if we could really understand that God cares for us and God will provide for us, and that is his desire, maybe we wouldn't worry so much about providing for ourselves so much extra. Okay, your life isn't determined by your possessions. And kind of my real first head point, like if I really went a little bit deeper, is that God is our ultimate source of security. Okay. And just knowing that, we're going to move into heart and hands in a second, but God is our ultimate source of security. What does God want us to feel or experience from this passage? I think it's that faith is going to set us free. Faith will provide freedom in our lives. Where I get this, um, I have a couple of verses up here. I didn't want to slam again with too much scripture all at once. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, if you can't add another day to your life, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. If God dresses the grass in the field so beautifully, how much more will God do for you, you people of weak faith? Stop worrying. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Over and over in this passage, he says, don't worry. Why are you worrying? Stop worrying. Don't be afraid. And this is where I thought, oh, this is, this is really probably the thing when James sent out and I read through the passages, this is probably the thing that triggered in my heart that said, oh, let's look a little bit at this. Maybe this is something that I want to dive into. Preaching is a little bit selfish sometimes because I get to look deeper at it than I normally would because I don't have great discipline in going, you know, studying scripture really deeply. I kind of need the deadline. And I understand worry. This, if I had to pick, is probably one of my core issues, core um, sin issues. I have a couple pictures. This is little Julianne. And um, at this point, we're living in Oroville on Feather Avenue. Um, That's my little sister behind me, Hannah. And little, if you knew, there's a few people here who knew little Julianne. Um, she was a very nervous, worried little girl. Lots of things to, I mean, endless things to worry about. Am I going to say the right thing? Like, am I, you know, is, are somebody going to want to play with me? Um, you know, and, and what really kind of sticks out is probably from ages like six to eight, what kind of describes the concerns I had. I don't remember the exact words, but I had a prayer that I would pray every night. My mom would come in and tuck me in, and we'd say a prayer. And I thought, if I pray against every single thing bad that could happen, then it, then it won't happen. Then it might be okay. So I'd pray, and I'd have to target individually, though. Like, it'd have to be, like, against, like, bad guys, robbers, kidnappers, 
the fire, or like I had to be very specific because I thought, you know, a lot of bad things with nuances can also come in, and if you don't pray against that, then then it might happen. And so that, those were my concerns. My, my parents were like, okay, well, what happens if a fire, you know, we jump out the window? And I'm like, what if I don't know how to jump out the window? You know, like, I don't, what if I don't, like, well, you can yell if something, well, what if I don't know, how could, do I know if little Julian can yell? Like, I'm so quiet, like, can I make that sound? Lots of worries. And they, you know, eventually, you know, you get older and worries change, and I've learned to deal with some of it, but it's still kind of my default. And I think the issue, so I, um, I was talking with Pastor James, and he um, gave me this name, James Brian Smith, that kind of has a really appropriate thought on worry. And he says, there's a false narrative that says, if we worry enough about something, we will prevent bad things from happening. We think that worry is useful. We have, if we think about it, then somehow it, you know, it won't happen. And also, though, if our worry turns out to be wrong, which a lot of times is true, especially, like, definitely for me, the bad thing didn't happen. Our narcissistic and superstitious minds interpret the events in another way. My worrying prevented that from happening. Next time, I'm going to worry even more to prevent more harm. We think we're doing something. We think we're being, you know, responsible by being aware and being worried about it and thinking about it. But worry makes things worse. And this is something I feel like I'm seeing a lot in the culture, in, in the world, is awareness now of what stress does to the body. What does worry do to the body? You may not be able to read this, but I'm going to help. But it's, a, you know, it's obviously a body. And it says in the short term, there's a lot of problems. You feel nervous. You can't switch your brain off. Your heart beats harder to pump blood faster to the muscles. Your breathing quickens. You get some upset stomach, right? A little bit of sensitivity. Your skin becomes more sensitive and oily. Your muscles tense up. It's a, it's a physical response that is on purpose um, for situations of danger. But we tend to use it a lot more because we see a lot more danger, right? There's a lot more danger, like not, you know, not having enough mugs for a Christmas party or something. <laughs> we get, and in the long term, we get tension headaches. Like, I get these, I feel like monthly, like it just tightens up if here, right? You have to, like, loosen it up. Mental health problems, anxiety, right? Serious heart problems, trouble breathing, hyperventilation, hyperventilation panic attacks, Skin and hair conditions from the oily skin, increased risk of type 2 diabetes, fertility problems, right? There's a lot of problems that come from being too stressed out all the time. Our bodies aren't made to handle all that stress. And what Jesus is saying is that worry, don't worry, stop worrying, why are you worrying, is futile and it's opposed to kingdom living. That's not the way God wants us to live. Worry again, is different from responsibility. If there are things you can do, you could do them. To be, you know, practice having me jump out a window so in case there's a fire. Like, we could practice that, right? But then don't go to bed and just worry, worry, worry about there might be a fire someday, right? Because there might be, but then, you know, then you're, you do what you practiced. Worry turns our focus away from God and his providence. 
And that's the problem. We start to try to live our lives without regard for God. Another, another quote, I think, from the, um, from the commentary. Jesus att- attempts to engage his audience in reading the signs of God's gracious presence all around them. He keeps saying, look at the lilies, look at the ravens. If, if God is evident in all of these things and he takes care of these parts of creation, if the disciples are able to see that, God's presence around them, their view of God will be reshaped and the character of their lives will be reformed. This is, this is a concept that will transform our lives if we can get it. And it made me think of um, this kid. He's an adult, but he's, you know, 22 or something. Um, and he, uh, Ryan Trahan, he does these YouTube videos and he does these series. The last couple of years it's been in the summer where he takes a penny, and this, this year he did it in um, overseas, and so he uses a different currency. But he takes a penny, and that's all he has. He's got his white tank top and his black shorts, and he's got his editor with him because it's YouTube. And he sees what he can do with a penny. Um, and I have a clip from this season, so if you watch it, you know, spoilers. I don't know, maybe Titus watched it already. But... <laughs> um, but he says something that I think is applicable to what we're talking about um, today because all he has is a penny and he's relying on the world, you know. He might be religious, I don't know if he, but he's relying on others and the world to help get him from one place to another. Seven days ago, I found myself in Paris, France with one penny and a crazy idea to try to make it back home starting with one cent. One thing the Penny series always teaches me is that true joy is not found in things like money or stuff. True joy is found in love and croissants. I am fully convinced that humans are just adorable and animals, but come on, look at Coco, dude. During this adventure, we raised over $400,000 to help provide people access to safe water. And after traveling over 4,000 miles to make it home, our journey is almost over. All right, so he was in another country. He started in France, I think. And he does it as a fundraiser. So he's, you know, he's encouraging people to donate, in this case, to, um, to provide clean water. But he works his way through, and he starts with a penny or something and usually buys a pen with it, and then he can sell the pen for a dollar. And then, you know, but a lot of times the biggest leaps he makes are him just saying, I don't know, like, I'm trying to sell this water. Can you help me, like, figure out what I'm saying that's wrong? And they, you know, somebody's like, I'll buy it, and here's five bucks. And he's like, I don't have change. And they're like, just keep it. Like, or, or a family that will bring him in and say, you can work on our farm, and we'll feed you. And he's always struck by how caring um, the people are that he finds, even in France and Amsterdam and all the places he goes. And I think God wants us to feel that peace. He's like, we love these YouTube series because he's so like, innocent and joyful and he just has fun and he's he's not stressed out about like what if I don't like what if I don't get where I need to go he just trusts people and talks to them and I think God wants us to feel the peace that comes from trusting him to provide what we need faith will set us free and then what does God want us to do 
This one's a little bit shorter. We're not packing as much into this point. Um, and I think, so the, what I thought was, he's warning using this farmer who rips down his little barns and bigs bigger barns, and he kind of condemns that, trying, him trying to store everything he has, is that we should build our barns in heaven. Focus more on what's going to give us wealth on the other side of life, on this earth. God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Okay? We want to be rich toward God. Your father knows that you need these things, food and water. Instead, desire his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then kind of the, the difficult verse, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. And I think that owning stuff in itself is not the problem. You can have some things. He says sell your possessions. I think he does want us to get rid of some stuff. But owning it isn't the problem. The problem is that when we hoard stuff, under the guise of being prepared, you know, we're being self, self-reliant, it prevents us from developing the character in our hearts that values the marginalized. I think it's difficult. I, you know, we can, we can have stuff and we can be prepared and be generous. But I think it's difficult that if you're folk, like for you to have focus on yourself, your own well-being, it's hard for little Julianne to care about other people when she has to protect, you know, the world is dangerous. So why would I reach out to the world, right? Why would I open myself up and be generous when I feel like there's a lot of danger out there? True security, and in this case, life, Everlasting life is a result of being rich toward God. And being rich toward God, he says in this passage, means giving to the poor. Being sensitive to the needs of the marginalized. And having that be our character, less than, I need to make sure that I've got everything ready in case anything happens. Right? This foolish rich man says, I have enough for years. So I'm just going to relax. He doesn't take a moment to look and say, those people are struggling. I could give to them or sell, you know, sell to them even. Right? He, he's not being generous with what he has, and he has a grotesque amount of food. And my last, I think this is probably my last um, passage from the commentary. Thus liberated from the consuming concerns of self-security. Um, you know, if we follow, he's good, this is kind of a continuation from, um, from talking to the disciples. If they become liberated, if they're able to receive this message of not worrying, 
They are able to orient their lives completely around the propagation in word and deed of God's restorative project. They can center their lives on God's kingdom. This is the kingdom, the coming of which overturns the worldly systems and values at odds with God's purpose. We may not have to be so self-sufficient if everybody is sharing what they have. I was looking for an illustration, and I was looking and looking, and then it hit me. I kind of saw a clip, but I was like, the perfect example, I feel like, of this. And we're going to go a little bit, a little bit Christmas in July, is a Christmas carol where we have Scrooge, whose whole focus is his business, and making sure he's secure and making sure he has enough wealth and not worrying and not seeing even the kind people who are poor around him, he can't, he doesn't have time, he doesn't have energy or the character to be able to see them and to um, appreciate them. And yet, at the same time, he's miserable and alone. And it takes the ghosts and him seeing himself in, as a child and seeing himself now and seeing the Cratchits now and seeing himself in the future and realizing that nobody would be there to realize that, oh, like, this wealth doesn't really matter all that much. Like, if I have this, you know, if I have community, we can take care of each other. And um, we can be grateful for what we do have. And so I think that it's hard for us to focus on giving up our possessions. And I think sometimes that's a sticking point. It's something pastors don't love to preach on because we live in the United States and we have a lot of stuff, giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And I picked this quote because I think that's what God wants us to focus on, is not investing here, not investing in a a lot of wealth or a lot of stuff or clothes. It's investing in God's kingdom, and that's going to provide the riches later whatever that looks like. I don't really, you know. But it'll, it obviously on this side of eternity, it's community and provision, and you're, you're going to be more full if you're able to make that investment. And I wanted to encourage myself, all of us, I thought what my life would be flipped upside down if I learned how not to worry. Like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like because it's been such a central part of who I am since I was a little girl, it would transform my life if I didn't worry about anything. And I really trusted God to be the father that provides needs. And I also, um, kind of in closing, want us to resist that impulse inside us that says, well... I can't stop worrying, or I can't really sell everything I have, or I can't really give to those people, or I want you to kind of sit in what this means, and that maybe Jesus really does mean give possessions, right? Don't hoard. Trust God to provide, um, and see what that means for you, and listen to the Holy Spirit in that. Um, applicable spiritual practices, I think, if you're looking on exercising this, would be fasting, right? That takes away kind of the food for a moment. Um, serving, 
maybe serving the marginalized, um, and simplicity, cutting down on what we have. So if you want to do the spiritual practice of the week, I think declutter something and give away what you don't need. I'm going to try to declutter. That's our, like, been our summer goal, and we have yet to start, so we'll see how July goes. We had a goal for like spend 30 hours in the garage in July, and it's already like July 9th, so we got 30 hours to go in the garage. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for meeting us in this passage. I pray that you would touch our hearts where you want to touch our hearts and that we would be sensitive to hear what you have to say to us in this passage and that we would be sensitive to the needs of those around us in the coming days and weeks and months as you work to transform our lives into peaceful, free lives. In Jesus' name, amen.